are members of the student body and faculty who are best acquainted with the works and the person of Richard L. Evans are those who are most delighted that he is selected to be our speaker for this Thanksgiving season. We are all familiar with the fact of his membership in the First Council of Seventies of the Church. Perhaps we are not so familiar with the fact that he was a missionary in the British Mission. It is my understanding that under two mission presidents, President James E. Talmadge and President John A. Widso. At the University of Utah, Brother Evans took his bachelor's degree in English, with a major in English, and his master's degree in the field of economics. Soon after returning from his mission, he was given a special assignment in the literary work of the church. He was associate editor of the Improvement Era and later editor of the Improvement Era, served his term as president of the Temple Square Mission and for a number of years, of course, has been the announcer for the Tabernacle Choir broadcasts over the Columbia Networks. All of us know intimately of his brief and timely statements during those broadcasts and others when in our homes in the evenings or out on the road as we were returning to our homes by car or on the trains we have been able to turn on the radio and listen to these fruitful and thought-provoking messages. Brother Evans is in charge of the church Sunday evening broadcasts over KSL, and I remind you of the various books which he has written that have been blessings to the lives of many. Unto the Hills, This Day and Always, The Spoken Word, At This Same Hour, and Tonic for Our Times. Our friend and brother who will speak to us today, Elder Richard L. Evans. Thank you, Dr. Lloyd. I wish I could afford to hire you as a publicity agent. I feel very much enlightened. I've been wearing Dr. Clark's coat. First time I've had a doctor's cloak on me, I think, and uh, I hope I am able to carry the honors with some humility. I have no such problem here as I had at the Agricultural College yesterday where I addressed the student body. I told them that this, of course, would be 
as they would expect, a talk devoted to things that I am thankful for. And among the things that I advised them I was thankful for was that I hadn't painted the walks in the buildings down at the BYU. <laughs> I think many of them up there were thankful that they hadn't too. I also advised them, which is no problem here today at all, that I should be thankful if they had a football team that was almost good enough to beat the university team. And no more than that. And that problem is behind us here also. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> I can't tell you when I have faced a finer audience. One can't come to this campus, to this university, without being impressed with you and with the spirit that prevails here and filters through. I use both or just one. <laughs> I hope that you are hearing. I guess it's needless to ask you if you're hearing up in the back because there isn't much I can do about it if you're not. Are you hearing up there? Are you on the back row? Would you raise your hands if you are? Thank you very much. There are some other things I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that I don't have to face this group of students every morning as some of your professors do, and not for some reasons that you might think, but <laughs> I'm thankful I don't have to stay here and answer your questions, all of them, to the last degree, that I can just come here occasionally and hit and run and leave the faculty here to handle the difficult and the persistent questions. It's a great comfort. It's like a grandparent with a child who can enjoy it and when it becomes troublesome or fretful it can just turn it over to the parents. But I express my appreciation here to your and my Sincere regards to your very able and earnest faculty. I know that you appreciate them and the things that they are doing and the spirit which in part through them permeates all that happens here. My respects to them and my compliments to you for your presence here and your enrollment in this university and your earnest attitude toward the privileges that you have. I'm sure you're going to think that I'm thankful for some peculiar things as well as some very fine ones. Before I get through, this is not one of the peculiar ones. I'm thankful for free elections in this country. No matter what they cost, no matter what we have to pay for them, I'm thankful for them. Thankful that despite the heat of the issues as they are debated, 
in the intensity of a campaign that following it, our Constitution and our philosophy of living with one another are so well conceived and inspired that we can settle down again to the solid tasks that are before us. This may sound odd to some of you, but I'm thankful that I don't have to believe everything I read or everything I hear. I'm sure that in the recent campaign you were thankful for the same things. I'm thankful that there's a, a little knob on the radio that you, where you can turn it off when you've had enough and uh, that you can fold a newspaper and ignore it if you choose to after you've had enough. But it goes deeper than this. I'm even thankful I don't have to believe all I read in books. It's been a favorite theme of mine for a long time that books are no more infallible than are the men who write them. <clears throat> that the authority of print is not greater than the authority of truth. No matter what we read or where we read it, either it's a fact or it isn't. If it's a fact, we should accept it. If it isn't, we should reject it. No matter what cover it comes between or who said it or who wrote it. We wouldn't believe a falsehood or an error of a man if he spoke it to us and we knew it to be such. And simply because he goes through the mechanical process or someone does for him of putting it into print, we have no obligation to believe it. Indeed, we have an obligation to brand it for what it is, whatever it is. Dean Bowers of our medical school up the University of Utah was telling me the other day that perhaps the average life of a medical reference book, for example, is about five years. I think there's nothing quite so old or outdated as an old textbook in many fields of thought and of learning. There is a great infinite field of truth. We are but children dabbling on the shore with, blessedly, a knowledge of some of the great fundamentals and principles sufficient for our eternal salvation, I am sure, if we'll live to the best of our ability, to the best knowledge we have. But I'm thankful for an infinity of truth as of space and of other things and for eternity in which to find it out. And I commend to you that you be not too discouraged if there are some things you don't know and that all the faculty here together don't know and that all men together don't know because with eternity ahead of us it'll be a great and endless quest as we go forward into this infinite area of truth yet to be discovered. Remembering always the basic principles that we have, which we don't all use as well as we know how, we don't all use all we know. 
but it is a glorious concept and fact to face this great unknown area ahead of us always. It's what keeps life fresh here and shall keep it eternally fresh, I'm sure. I'm thankful this morning for work. It's one of the greatest blessings that our Father has given to men. I'm reminded of a statement of Jose Medina, recently recalled in the press, the great distinguished citizen of Chile, whose centenary is currently being observed down there, who said something like this, that the Bible states that work was placed upon man, or the necessity of toil at least, was placed upon man as a curse. He said if it was, it was placed there by a loving and all-wise Father. I don't mean just the work we have to do. I don't mean just the labor that's incumbent upon us for the necessity of existence. But work beyond necessity, even the dumb beasts do what they are made to do. Even the beasts of the field do what they have to do for sustenance, to forage for a living. But work beyond even the call of duty, certainly beyond the limits of necessity. Work pursued for the joy of it, for the accomplishment for the power to improve and to learn more and to increase capacity to do, for the joy of getting things done that have to be done, for the joy of serving others, for the joy of creating, discovering. I think one of the great lessons that this world and this country must relearn in some degree is the joy of work for work itself and what it does for people, for us, for those who work, rather than the mere limitations of material compensation, the per hour or the per day rate or the peace rate. I am grateful for work. One of the great gifts and blessings that God has given us and opportunities. And all there is that has been created in the world by men, our streets, our cultivated farms and gardens, all the things we enjoy in life of a material and man-made nature are here because some men, man has been willing to work this building in which we meet, all the comforts that we enjoy. Thank God for it. And may we do what is required of us for the necessities of life and then go on beyond that for the sheer joy of it and because it's the thing to do in life and in it is found happiness. I'm thankful for pioneers, pilgrims, not only in the physical sense, although I pay my great respects to them with you at this Thanksgiving season, 
but for pioneers in all fields who have had the courage to do and the wisdom to do what we have been speaking of here, to go ever forward on this quest for more and greater knowledge, for greater understanding, for finer things in life. There's a choice sentence from one of the classic authors, from one of the great authors. I'm not sure at the moment which one it was. I think possibly Milton. It might have been Dante. If I had to guess my best guess here, it would be Milton. But it runs about like this. Tis man's perdition to be safe when for the truth he ought to die. Tis man's perdition to be safe when for the truth he ought to die. Now I think we could paraphrase that in an innumerable variety of sentence that it suggests, sentences that it suggests. We might try one that's almost identical, but not quite. Tis man's perdition to be safe when for the truth he ought to live. Tis man's perdition to be safe or to be complacent when there are great issues at stake, to be indifferent when there are great things to be decided and to be accomplished. Is man's perdition to be too smug and comfortable when there is work to do and truth to be discovered and problems to be solved? Great problems and serious issues to be settled. I think it's man's perdition to be smug and complacent and comfortable beyond a degree and a very limited degree when there is anything worthwhile to be done within his reach. The great ever-beckoning opportunity of life is before us always. And so I say I'm grateful for these <clears throat> pioneers and pilgrims who've had the courage and the wisdom to seek and subdue new lands, to seek and find new truths, to seek and explore new fields, to be ever on the quest for this endless truth, which in our philosophy and belief and conviction is all part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't pass over my gratitude for great men and great pioneers this morning without soberly mentioning one who lies grievously ill in Salt Lake City, who may not long be with us unless the Lord gives him a great blessing in lengthening his life. Dr. John A. Widso, a member of your board of trustees, a one-time member of this faculty, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, a former president of the University of Utah and of the Utah State Agricultural College, 
one of the great men of science, one of the great apostles of truth in this world, ever on the quest for the newer and finer things of life, busy with his pen even up until the last few days, has produced some two score or more books and courses of study, unnumbered hundreds of articles and scientific dissertations, who has blessed millions of lives. I've had the privilege of traveling with him over a good part of the world except for the Orient, and of seeing the breadth of his soul and of his mind and of his spirit and of his heart. He lies this morning sorely afflicted. May our Father's blessings be with him as his life has blessed so many others. And I should draw for you an example from his life to have seen him in the years of his great vigor and usefulness and activity, one would have supposed to have partaken of his spirit that life might have been easy for him. It never was that. He was not expected to live when he was born. The Lord took from him all but two of his six children. There has been no easy road but a great joy in faith in God, in the quest for truth, in love of people, in service, in work. Never have I seen him, I think, waste a moment. Most of his books have been written while waiting for other people or waiting for trains or traveling on trains or at an hour between times. He has filled his life full. I am thankful for such men. May he be blessed this day. Now there are a good many other things that we might add to our list. I'm even thankful for the right to fail. That may impress you at the moment as being a somewhat peculiar point of gratitude, but it's a very real one. Because any man who protects us or guarantees us against the right to fail has some control likewise over our right to succeed. The right to fail is inherent in free agency, which is the great basic principle of life. And indeed, we are assured the cause of contention in the heavens because someone challenged it even before the foundations of this earth were laid. Freedom of the individual, of the mind and spirit of man, freedom for the search for truth, for the right to work out our own salvation, for a life in a free land. How gloriously and greatly we're blessed. And so I say I'm thankful even for the right to fail.
I'm thankful even for uncertainty. I'm sure that some of you young people, you young men especially, who have some of the uncertainties of this generation facing you, would think that might be a peculiar point of thanks. But I suggest to you that it isn't. In the first place, there was no generation that didn't live in uncertainty. In the second place, if we didn't live in uncertainty, we would know all that there was ahead of us. And I suggest, suggest to you that carrying a foreknowledge of all the eventualities of life would to be too much of a burden, too much of a responsibility for the frailties of mere men, living in faith each day, trusting for the future, making the most of each moment. anticipating joy and happiness, finding it along with some of the sorrows and disappointments is the great stimulating process of living life here and now. I know that you get depressed at times. I presume that you do. I don't say to you that it's normal, but I do say to you that it's almost universal. Don't be too concerned about it if you do. But it is a glorious and interesting and worthwhile life with limitless opportunity. And despite all the uncertainties that lie before us, there is joy and happiness and accomplishment and much of good ahead. Accept the interruptions as they come philosophically when they are unavoidable and inevitable. Make the most of the people and the opportunities and the time and the environment and the circumstances in which you find yourself wherever you are, whatever eventualities there are. Remember the picture of John A. Woodsow scribbling on a pad or an envelope or on a tablet carried with him for that purpose wherever he was. There isn't any place that you could go where you don't take your thoughts, your own creative powers, your power of prayer, your ability to get close to your Father in heaven, your opportunity to think great thoughts, to dream great dreams, to plan great plans. So I repeat, I'm thankful for uncertainty. I can't conceive of a life in which there isn't some uncertainty. I personally don't want to carry the burden of a detailed foreknowledge of the future. And I say to you young men, and you young women also who are affected equally by all that happens in these times, go forth and live your lives in season. Put your eyes 
and the whole objective of your soul and your effort on some permanent great goal and pursue it despite all discouragement and interruption. The man of whom I've been speaking, who came into my life some 25 years ago, along with Dr. James E. Talmadge, two blessings beyond price in my own life, said this to me, and I have heard him say it to others, and I have carried it these years and found it to be about as good advice as I've ever had from anyone. Look 20 years ahead. Decide where you want to be. Pay the price and be that. You may fall somewhat short of it. You may have disappointments, but you'll be a lot farther along the road if you keep your eyes and your efforts on some permanent, long-term, worthwhile objective. Life is going to pass anyway, ever so quickly. If I were to ask you to think back one week from today, it would seem to you almost as if I were asking you to recall something as of yesterday afternoon. If I were to ask you to think back to last Thanksgiving, to the last approaching Christmas season, it would seem only a few short weeks ago to you, I am sure. About 600,000 hours, as a matter of fact, if we live the scriptural allotment of life, threescore years and ten, one of the philosophers, I'm not sure which I think perhaps Emerson, who suggested that the genius of each man's life is crowded within the space of a few hours, perhaps only a few moments. Most of that spent in doing other routine things, a third of it in sleeping, perhaps, a lot of it in going to and from, in getting ready to begin to do something. It's going to go, and it's going to go very quickly. Dean Lloyd was very kind in introducing me. He didn't suggest to you how long I had been on the air. Almost a quarter of a century within two years of that time in my own life. And I think I feel as young as about as some of you feel here this morning. And I know that's quite young because I remember how I felt when I was as young as some of you feel. That's rather... <laughs> We won't ask the English department to diagram that sentence, but <laughs> anyway, we understand one another, and that's the purpose of language. Almost a quarter of a century I have been laboring at one broadcast. I can assure you that it doesn't seem like it. It seems like a few, a very few years. Don't be dissuaded by any superficial reason from the great objective of your life. Interruptions will come. Misfortunes will come. They come to all of us. Disappointments will come. But the time's going to pass no matter what you do with it and going to pass quickly. There isn't time for any superficial or shoddy thing. For joy and happiness, 
wonderful associations, sincere pleasures, rich full living, but not for the shoddy and superficial things. Those 600,000 hours come and go too quickly. Oh, I'm grateful for a good many other things. Down here on the great observatory on Mount Palomar where they've penetrated a billion light years away with the instruments that men have made, it makes infinity and eternity a little easier to understand. Some of you have read a little book by Fred Hoyle called The Nature of the Universe, published within the last year or two, in which he who, so far as I can observe, is a religious illiterate, nevertheless comes up with some very interesting conclusions so far as we're concerned and uses some phrases that have a very familiar sound to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He speaks of continuous creation. The universe isn't running down. Eternity is ahead of us, and infinity also. He speaks of space in which there is matter, no space without matter. Familiar phrases? How should a man so far from us, so far from Joseph Smith of a century ago, so far from any detailed knowledge of religion, so far as I am, have been able to observe, come so close to some phrases and some great truths that have long been familiar to us from another source. It is a wonderful world and a wonderful and glorious opportunity that's ahead of us. I'm grateful and thankful for faith, for faith in the future, for people, for my faith that what we have in common, all men, is greater than our differences. One of the greatest, the greatest thing we have in common is a common father and our brotherhood, literally, as his spirit children. There are discouraging things along the way. There are problems in the world, but not more discouraging than some others have faced, not more uncertainty than some others have faced, and certainly we have greater opportunities than some others have had, and greater promise. And so I close with saying I am thankful for all of these things. And for my conviction, the conviction of my very soul as to the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as restored in this our day, which has within it the principles and the knowledge that will lead us to our highest happiness and possibilities here and hereafter if we will live as well as we know how to live and observe these things as well as we know how to observe them. There aren't any shortcuts. There aren't any equations, basically, in the universe that can be tampered with that will come out with any other answer except that which we put into them. It's a great generation and a great and glorious and interesting world. I'm thankful for it and for you. May the Lord bless you and give you peace in your hearts 
an understanding discernment between truth and error, courage in your decisions and in the facts you face, faith in God, in the power of prayer, in clean, righteous living, and bring you along, may our Father bring you along to the great destiny of leadership and joy and understanding in life that are yours inevitably. And now on this Thanksgiving Eve, and as we approach another Christmas, may we turn our eyes to the things of lasting worth as we live a joyous and interesting and wonderful life and keep our minds ever open to truth and our hearts ever open to the understanding of our fellow men. And may peace and our Father's blessings be with you and with all of us this day and always, I pray in his name. Amen. <laughs>